Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Last week, we were traveling back from holiday, and our flight was delayed for a few hours. I had uh, four or five hours to kill in the airport, and uh, I found myself walking around some of the shops. Now, I have to say, I, I find shopping utterly boring, and so in order to spice up the experience a little bit, I played a game with myself. For each shop I walked into, I, I tried to guess what was the most expensive item in the shop without looking at the, um, the kind of price tag on the shelf. The first shop I went to was a, a gadget shop, and there's various uh, mobile phones and drones and electronic toys. I, I guessed it was a laptop that was there at the front, a gleaming silver laptop. I thought that was the most expensive. I was wrong. In fact, it was a, a snazzy camera lens that came in at around 2,000 pounds. I tried again, I went to a jewelry shop, looked around, I guessed it was a necklace, wrong again. It was a Swiss watch that came in as the most expensive item in this shop. Now look, of course, uh, away from airport departure lounge, we are making 
value judgments about all kinds of things in life. Physical things, we make judgments about cars and sofas and laptops. We make judgments about the value of time. Will we spend more time in bed or more time at the gym? More time in the office or more time with friends? More time pursuing hobbies or more time just having a night in? Always making value judgments. And of course, we make value judgments about people. And the big question Mark 10 poses for each one of us is this. When, when push comes to shove, how much do we value Jesus? How much is he worth to us? Out of all the things and opportunities and relationships that are spread out before us in our lives, where does Jesus fit in? How precious is he to us? We're in the middle of a series looking at Mark's gospel, and Jesus has been teaching about the nature of true discipleship. And last week, Jesus said that we must adopt the attitude of a little child coming to Jesus, needy and helpless, if we are to enter the kingdom of God. This week, the camera pans around to a a completely different kind of person, not a little child, but a rich man. And we'll see that he is the most likely candidate we can think of to be welcomed into God's kingdom, a a most impressive man at so many levels. Look at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a man. Uh, He's urgent. He, He comes running up to Jesus. He's humble. He kneels down before Jesus. There's none of the hostile questioning and testing of the Pharisees back in verse 2 of chapter 10. Now, this man really cares about what Jesus is going to say, and he calls Jesus good teacher. He wants to learn from him. Uh, This man cares about the big things in life. Uh, So often, people just drift through life, focusing on one day to the next, but not this man. There's, There's something of a spiritual hunger in him to get to the bottom of what life is all about. And this man is rich. Now, I know that uh, in uh, modern society, the rich have received a bit of a poor press of late. We think back to the banking crisis 10 years ago or so, and the idea of um, fat cat business people raking it in at the expense of the lowly workers doesn't play well in people's hearts and minds. But the profile of a rich person back in Jesus' day was very different. It was often viewed, wealth, uh, as a sign of God's blessing. If a person was wealthy, they were wealthy because God was blessing them. This rich man had not gained his wealth through lying or cheating or fraud. No, he is an upstanding citizen. He is one of the good guys in the world. He's the kind of guy, if he moved in next door, we would be thrilled to have him as a neighbor. If he joined our small group, we'd love to have him there. He would come across as being humble, sincere, wanting to really grapple and engage with God about the really big things in life. Forget the little children. You put these two side by side, the little children from last week, the rich man of this week. The disciples think it's, it's the rich man who's going to be in. He's the strong candidate for entry into God's kingdom. And yet this morning we see him make a wrong decision. 
That's our first point, a wrong decision. We get the first hint that all is not well with this rich man in the response that Jesus gives to his question. Look at verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. This might seem like Jesus is being slightly pedantic. Here comes a polite man, and he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus responds with, 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 with quite a firm response. But as the conversation rolls on, it becomes clear that as he so often does, Jesus has put his finger already on the key issue in this man's heart. Jesus continues, verse 19. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This is massively impressive. If true, this man is amazing. Another massive tick in the good discipleship box for this man. But then comes the hammer blow. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I'm very glad that I uh, no longer have to sit exams. I don't think I have any more exams coming up in the horizon. Uh, my heart does go out to those of us uh, in the church family who still have to endure exams. I'm very sorry indeed uh, for you. Uh, it's horrible having to face exams and go through the whole dynamic of it. And um, I remember my teacher back at school ramming home to me two crucial things about exams. The first is always read the question carefully. Don't assume you know what it's being asked uh, the second big thing was always turn the paper over and check there's not more questions on the other side. Brilliant advice. And it's the kind of thing, if you're the person who has nightmares about exams, it's the kind of thing, you're, you're having a nightmare, you're there, you're in the exam room, you're, you're two and a half hours into the exam, you're almost finished, and you get to the end of the questions, and you're tired, but you're satisfied. You lean back thinking, I'm done with five minutes to go. Just out of curiosity, you, you just... Look over the other side of the page, and to your horror, you're only halfway through. It's the stuff of nightmares. It's horrible, isn't it? Students, read both sides of the exam paper. In verse 21, Jesus turns over the paper. There's another side to discipleship that this man had failed to engage with. Verse 19, Jesus has drawn from the second half of the first commandments but not the first half, not in particular the first commandments. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Later on in Mark's gospel, Jesus will be asked what the greatest command is, and, and he will say, Mark 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so back in Mark 10, Jesus is not after pounds and pence. He's after the man's heart. He's asking this man, how much do you think I'm worth? Out of all the things in life, where do I fit into your heart? Do you love me first and foremost in line with the first commandment? 
Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It is very hard indeed to give up something if we think that we will be worse off afterwards. We see this with little children. If they're playing with a toy they love, if you ask them to hand over the toy and you give them another toy in exchange that they don't really like, they don't want to do it. Often there's tears because they're worse off. They want to keep the better toy. And this man goes away sad because what he has just heard is give up something that means a very great deal to you in exchange for someone who means a lot less to you. And for this man, the sums just don't add up. But he makes the wrong decision. He does not love the Lord God with all his heart. He has not kept the first commandment. And that is why Jesus had says to him, no one is good but God alone. So often we try to set the exam paper for kingdom entry. We want to choose the questions, set the parameters. And if we're doing that, we choose questions that we have a better chance of answering well. If we are naturally sociable people, then we say that prioritizing relationships and loving other people is the most important thing we should be doing. If we're hardworking, then we say, well, God must be looking for diligence in his people. If we enjoy learning, then we say the Bible knowledge, that's the most important thing for us to have. If we are naturally self-controlled, we say, well, keeping your temper under wraps, that's important. All of these things are good. But when is the last time we have turned over the exam paper to the first page and let God ask us his first question, which is, do you love me? Do you love me before everything else? Every other thing, every other opportunity, every other person in this world. And for this man, money is a window into his heart that reveals he does not love and does not treasure God as he should. A wrong decision. But it gets worse, and that brings us to our second point an impossible decision. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples are amazed. You see, they still equate richness with God's blessing. How can this rich man not get in? But verse 25, Jesus is absolutely clear. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Please don't try to explain away the shock of what he is saying in these verses. People try to find some gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, which is very narrow, and you have a large camel. It can be tricky to drive it through, but with some skill and some pushing power from behind, you can just about squeeze the beast through. That is not the point at all. It's as simple as it looks. If you ever try to fit a seven-foot-tall, one-ton animal through a one-millimeter hole, you just can't do it. And that's why the disciples cry out, verse 26, who then can be saved? Growing up, there was a boy at my school called, 
called Martin. And Martin was an absolute genius. Annoyingly, he's also a really nice guy as well. But um, when it came to all the school tests, all the exams, Martin was just in a different league. He, he, he was top of everything, and not just by a small margin. He was way ahead of us all. He was an absolute genius. And um, I guess um, in our own sort of educational background, we can probably think of the equivalent Martin in, in your world. Um, actually, given the church family the way it is, maybe you were the Martin in your class. I don't know. Um, but just imagine a scenario where um, your, your school has to sit an exam, and for some reason it's going in sequence, so you go one by one through the exam. And um, imagine Martin goes first, and you're outside waiting two hours later. Martin stumbles out of the exam, and his face is as white as a sheet. And you can tell he's been crying. And you go up to Martin. You're not meant to speak to him, but you whisper to him, Martin, are you, are you okay? And he, and he mumbles out, that exam, it's impossible. Good luck. And he's off. <laughs> How would you feel? If Martin is as wide as a sheet, what chance have the rest of us? And here the disciples watch an A grade top of the class, general all-around good guy, great discipleship material, the rich man, fail the discipleship exam and turn away from Jesus. And as far as we know, not enter the kingdom. And they think, if this guy has flunked the exam, what chance do we have indeed? Or anyone else for that matter. And the thing is, Jesus completely agrees. Verse 27 Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Now, we need to be very clear what Jesus is saying is impossible for humanity. He is not saying it's impossible for rich people to give away their money. Just this week, Jeff Bezos, who I think is the most um, wealthy person in the world at the moment, announced he's giving away $10 billion to help set up a fund researching climate change. Rich people can and often do give away lots of money. That's not the point here. No, Jesus is making a much more general point about the state of the human heart. Entry into God's kingdom is through perfection, through keeping all of God's laws all of the time, and no one has lived a life that way. None of us have loved God, not with our souls and hearts and minds and strength. And so on our own, none of us can enter God's kingdom. It's an impossible decision for us to make, to choose God fully, always, forever. For many, it is money. Money has a peculiar power to pull in our hearts. Money offers us so much in this world. In a hard world, money offers us escape and fun and experience through good food and holidays. In a scary world, money offers us a form of security that we long for. Money offers us a form of power, of status. With money, we can be more self-reliant. If we have money and things go wrong, we don't have to rely on other people in the same way. And so very often it is a love for money that means we break the first commandment and do not love God first. But not just money. Within the context of Mark's gospel, we've been seeing the disciples drawn towards greatness. They've been putting themselves first and pushing others down to the bottom. They've been jealous over other people's ministry success. Um, they've 
see themselves as being self-important as they drove away the little children from Jesus. These are all forms of of self-love, not love for God first and foremost. I realize that in global terms and in historic terms, many, if not most of us here at Forward, are very wealthy. And so it may well be money that has our hearts before the Lord, but it could be power, it could be status, or the approval of others. Whatever it is, the decision to love the Lord with everything and before everything, it is an impossible decision for us. But notice how Jesus continues, verse 27. All things might be impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we might wonder how. We're not told explicitly in this passage, but there are some big clues. Verse 21, we read, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Even as this rich man was deciding to not love Jesus and to not follow him, Jesus was loving this rich man. And this takes us right to the heart of the gospel. This rich man would not give up his wealth to love Jesus, but Jesus had already given up his wealth to love this man. Think of the son, the second person of the Trinity. He had it all in heaven, all the glory, all the honor, all the status, the perfect relationship with his father. He chose to lay aside his glory, and he humbled himself, taking on flesh and becoming a man in the person of Jesus. In fact, this encounter with the rich man would never have happened unless Jesus had condescended to take on flesh. But more than that, we know from the context of Mark's gospel, three times we're told that Jesus must die. Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. And so when Mark tells us in verse 17 that Jesus started on his way, he's not just filling us in with some random details, he's telling us that he's on his way to the cross. That's the whole dynamic at work in this um, context of Mark's gospel. And so when Jesus looks at this rich man and loves him, he's looking at exactly the kind of man for whom he's about to die. And on the cross, he lays aside his wealth in the most extraordinary way. He was willing to submit to death. He took on himself God's judgment, not for his sin, but for the sins of the world. And in giving his life as a ransom for many, he opens a way for forgiveness, a way for us to enter God's kingdom, not because of our love or what we do, but because of his love and what he's done for us. You see, there are two rich men in this story, the one who won't give up his wealth and goes away, and the one who does give up his wealth and dies for many. And that is how all things are possible for God. It is through the work of Jesus, as he loves and dies, that he makes what is impossible for us possible. And that is why we must become like little children, helpless and needy if we are to enter the kingdom. And so this morning, as we look at God's standards, his exam for us, which is perfection, and if we are aware of our failure, and if we think, my goodness, what chance do I have? Here's the good news. Jesus loves people 
He died to bring forgiveness for those who do not deserve to be loved. And so come and trust in him. Come and live for him, knowing that he has died for you. It's through him that you have access to God's kingdom. A wrong decision, an impossible decision, and finally, a worthwhile decision. Verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. It's very hard, I think, to decide on the tone of Peter's comment at this point. So we can't quite be sure. Perhaps knowing Peter's tendency to overestimate his own abilities, it may well be that Peter is um, pushing himself forward as the model disciple. Oh, look, the rich man's flunked the discipleship test. He won't give up anything to follow Jesus. Ah, but, but look at me, Peter. I've given up lots to follow you. I must be a good disciple. That, that, that may be the tone. We can't be sure. But whatever the tone is, there is something true that Peter has latched onto. Uh, Peter has left friends and family and a fishing business to follow Jesus, and that, that is commendable. He's done more than this rich man would do. And what is more, back in Mark 8, Jesus has said to us that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our crosses. And so Peter and the disciples, they are starting to get the, the dynamic, the shape of what it means to follow Jesus. It'll be costly and difficult, but they have a long way to go. If you keep reading through Mark's gospel, you'll know that in just a few chapters, Peter, who claims to be willing to leave everything for Jesus, well, when the heat really comes on and Jesus is arrested and on trial, Peter will deny Jesus to save himself. He'll distance himself. And so this great claim, verse 28, it's only a shallow one, only for certain contexts. And this section of Mark begins with a blind man receiving his sight, and it ends at the end of Mark 10 with another blind man receiving his sight. And these two bookends of people receiving their sight help us to know what needs to happen in the middle. These disciples need to have their spiritual eyes opened miraculously by God alone to see who Jesus really is to see his glory and majesty and his mission to die on the cross. Peter gets something of it. He's starting to see that actually to follow Jesus will mean giving up everything. He's, he's on the right track as a disciple, but he's so much more to see of Jesus because we know from the trial he walks away from Jesus. Only afterwards, after, in the resurrection accounts, do we find that Peter is fully behind the mission of Jesus. We need our spiritual eyes to be open to see Jesus for who he is. And in his response to Peter, I think Jesus is very gentle with him. He could have said, verse 28 or 29, really, you've given up everything to follow me? We'll, we'll just test that theory in a few weeks when you deny me when I'm arrested. But he doesn't go there. Verse 29, he says, you're on the right track. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, following Jesus will be extremely costly in this life. It will mean huge loss now, and he doesn't vary the cost in the, fi in the fine print. He's very clear with all of us that if we want to follow Jesus, it will change our lives drastically. It will be difficult I can think of people in this church family who 
have literally lost family in order to follow Christ. Others will have experienced financial loss, not fields, but perhaps promotions at work because of their stand for Christ. But the more our spiritual eyes are opened, as the more God does a miracle in us to help us to see Christ for who he is, the more we see that he is the most glorious person in the universe. He's our savior who died for us. The more we see how precious he is, the more we are willing to give up stuff now to gain the things we cannot lose. It's worth following Jesus because of it. he gives us eternal life. But it's also worth following Jesus because of present blessings. If we lose family, we gain new family. He's talking about the church family. If we lose children, we gain new children in the present. It's worth following Christ now, but also in the context of eternity. And so Christ does call us to follow him in radical and costly ways. This sermon is not about pounds and pence, but it is about our hearts. Does he have our hearts? Are we living for him, loving him, clinging to him? When it comes to money, money offers us so much, but money cannot die for us. It, It does not love us. It doesn't bring us eternal life. Only Jesus can. And as our eyes are open to see his rescue, it it becomes easier to let go of things of this life that cannot rescue us. Well, let me finish with a question I asked at the beginning. How much is Jesus worth? Of all the things before us this morning, where does he fit in to our loves and affections? None of us here this morning will love him as we should with a perfect love. That's why he died for us, to rescue us. But as he opens our spiritual eyes to see his rescue, to see his glory, may it be that increasingly we are willing to let go of the things of this life that cannot save us, to follow the one who can. Let me pray. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Father, we thank you for the amazing love of Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to lay aside his wealth and his riches to take on flesh and to die on a cross for people like this rich man, for people like us, you fail to love you as we should. Father, we praise you this morning. What a savior we have. What a loving God we serve. Father, please open our eyes afresh to see his rescue and his love. Help us to see that what he offers us is so much better than anything else in this world. And Father, as that happens, please help us to be a people who responds in radical costly discipleship. Help us to hold lightly the things of this world, money and possessions and homes and fields and relationships, knowing that to follow Christ means we have absolute eternal security in this life and forever. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.